Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are here doing the end of 2022, beginning of 2023 recap uh, or recap and and look forward. Rick, how you doing? Oh, man, I, I have to like really prepare for this episode every year. So I've got three drinks in front of me. Um, I just went to the restroom. Uh-huh. I'm ready to go. If yeah. this takes two hours, uh, it takes two hours. Yeah, I feel like an, an hour and a half has been kind of the average in the past. So we'll see how this compares. Um, but yeah, let's just dive right in. This is going to follow similar format to previous years. We're going to start by talking about last year and then start looking forward to next year. Uh, let's start with personal stuff. Um, you want to go first? Like what, what happened in 2022 for you? Ooh, um, well, I, maybe I can recap what my goals were and then I can self-assess. Uh, yeah. So if any, that, if anyone wants yeah. to, no one's going to do this, but like a year ago ish in last January, all like some of the things we like set goals for right now. And so we are going to say, how did we do on those goals? So yeah, let's start yeah. there. Okay. So the goals I said that I was going to do basically on this episode last year and via my, my personal website. I had three things uh, for personal goals. I'm not going to talk about professional goals right now, just personal goals. So there are three things. One was reprioritizing um, daily personal health habits. The second was spending more quality time with Sable and Oliver. Um, And uh, the third was related to um, my writing, personal writing, uh, which I put more in the personal development category than the professional category, which is why I'm talking about it here. Um, so there are three goals. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more detail about each, but like pretty much I hit one pushed on the other and then like totally failed on the third, (laughs) um, which is pretty good, I think, uh, for relative to the goals I set. Um, but I'm going to modify how I set goals in 2023 to feel better about myself at this time next year. Cause it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good to see like not hit two out of three goals. Yeah, although it it would, to, in my opinion, it would be a bad thing if someone hits all their goals because it's like, well, you should have set more ambitious goals then. True, true that, true that. So, um, my first goal and the most important goal for me was to reprioritize my daily personal health habits, um, and this was a a great success. Um, I like act, physical activity um, and just like healthy habits, sleeping, et cetera, are now a regular part of my life. Um, I go to the gym regularly. I do daily walks, um, pull-ups, et cetera. Um, I feel really good about it. I also bought a new mountain bike um, and new skis, which uh, sort of support this active lifestyle that I want to live in the winter mm-hmm. and summer, um, taking advantage of Utah. So gonna, gonna I feel really, really good Deer about Valley this. A bunch this year. Uh, no, but I'm going to go and I'm going to feel like enjoy doing it. And it's not going to be like, it's not going to be, oh, I, I'm not going to, I'm investing in my personal health and I, I like, there are no roadblocks now. I can't say, oh, I have old skis. My boots don't fit my, oh, I don't have a mountain bike. I can't go. It's like, oh, I can go. So I'm most interested in the sleep because you, you've you always been, you like exercising and fitness and yeah, you have to make time for it, but I, I don't get the impression it's like a chore for you, but sleep is something you've always struggled with. And you said that's under control now? Yes, it is. Um, the, the, fu- the, the major thing that I changed, well, I guess I, I started my sleep journey two years ago before Sable um, had our first child, Oliver, 
I, she was like eight months pregnant and I was like, holy crap, she's going to have this baby. And I was taking sleeping pills, like some pretty heavy, like medication that would knock me out. Like you could literally break into the house, like (laughs) do some really bad things. And I would sleep through the entire thing. Um, and so I realized that was going to be a problem when we had a baby that was, that needed me. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I got off that medication, which is really, really hard. Um, and then I started exp- like figuring out like, why can't I sleep? Like, why do I need sleep med- medication? And there were two main things that were the root causes. One was caffeine after noon. Mm-hmm. Um, I eliminated that from my diet. Um, and then the second is just like uh, the pre-bedroom process, like of just committing to going to bed. Yeah. Um, and that's like, I it's saw like the caffeine no thing. screen time, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I solved the caffeine thing last year and I have a full year of just like discipline, no caffeine afternoon. Like very rarely will I have soda, anything with caffeine in it uh, after uh, noon. Um, and then I have a pretty solid routine around like once I get in bed, like I can fall actually like get myself to transition into falling asleep primarily through reading mm. um, fiction. I've read like 10 Stephen King books. Like that's my <laughs> that's my jam now. But anyway, that's been a huge life changer for me. Cool. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll quickly go through the other two and then, um, there's probably, uh, some learnings in the third, but the, the second one was spend more time with, with Sable. We, I wanted to have a date night most weeks and I with Oliver, I wanted to take him on errands. Like I totally failed here. Uh, I think I, I definitely spend more quality time. I'm much more helpful. Sable and I don't spend nearly enough time together relative to like what I was hoping for one on one. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. So I just need to, I think You're my just expectations have to adjust. <laughs> I think everyone I know, like, I don't, I don't have kids, but like the people I know who do, everyone has this dream before they're like, it's going to be different for us. We're going to mean, we're going to keep our life prior to it. And it's just, it never happens. I've never seen, I don't know anybody who still has a real social life after having kids. Nope. And, and especially because she's like, what, what I'm trying to accomplish professionally, what she's trying to accomplish professionally, it's just like, it's impossible. So um, I, I do think, um, well, I just don't think it's going to change. Um, and then I wanted to take Oliver on errands with me. I, I guess this, I, when I wrote this goal, I didn't really understand what it meant to take a, a, like a 10 month old on errands with, <laughs> with you or a two year old. Like it's, it's impossible. Like the kid, <laughs> it's just like, it takes it, a full time. Like when you're, fo- when you're with him, like it's, you don't, you can't do anything else. Um, yeah. so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely spending more time. Uh, with the family, but not like I, how I expected it to be. So I call it this like yellow ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sort of accepted that like until we're done having kids and the, all the kids are above like five, this is going to be hard. Yeah. Um, and then last thing is uh, I had had some writing goals related to rickLindquist.com, uh, which is where I do my newsletter. Um, in particular, I wanted to... Um, continue my newsletter on a weekly basis. And, uh, I wanted to write three handbooks. Um, (laughs) I I didn't accomplish any of the handbooks. I wrote the newsletter most weeks, but I definitely had like some weeks, multiple weeks in a row where I just didn't send a newsletter. Um, and it was fine. Like, yeah, you know, I, but I, I definitely didn't make any progress on the handbooks and I felt guilty about it all year. Um, and I think it distracted me from doing things, other things. So I'm not going to set that goal this year. <laughs> yeah, I respect the fact that you want to do that for yourself. But if if you just look at this as like your professional goals, and I, I realize you're you're listening to this under personal, not professional. If this is under professional. I'd be like, this is obviously the first thing you got to cut. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, but like, I, I did want to share like 
this thing's growing. Um, my subscribers are a thousand sixty two. Wild, yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and I think I've got like seven subscribers, new subscribers since I've written this. Like wrote this down today. Um, I wrote this this morning, and and like seven people have signed up for my newsletter. Wow, just like SEO or whatever. I have I, haven't, I have no idea why where they're coming from. I should yeah. look. Um, <laughs> and then I uh, so that's over like double year over year for subscribers, and then traffic is you can I can tell that like less co- new content is leading to less traffic growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's traffic is only up 33% year over year, but for some reason conversion on is way up. I don't think I've changed much. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe yeah. I, like, I don't really understand why like subscribers are so much higher, but traffic hasn't changed that much. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, even 33% is, uh, I wouldn't say that's not changing much. That's, that's a pretty big growth given yep. that this, this is not your main thing. Yep. Um, cool. So that's my personal updates. Yeah. All right. I guess my personal updates. Um, so my goals last year, one was um, to plan for travel as part of my relationship. Basically, like travel, is, there are a lot of people where it's like the way they prove to themselves that they're living a fulfilling life is to travel a lot. That sounded overly like negative. I, I don't mean to be judgy about it, but like I don't have that. Like I like traveling. It, it's not a thing I have to do. Um Shelly, my wife, has to. So as as part of being a good husband, I want to like plan for that. I think we've done that. Um, I'll, I'll mention this in a second, but we kind of like got our finances, financial plan in, in shape. And one of the things we did is we are both budgeting $5,000 for two separate trips. So $10,000 each. So, you know, that's not like taking a private jet somewhere, but that's enough to take like a pretty nice vacation uh, twice a year. And that's just like in the budget and kind of in the time budget as well. So I, I'm going to call that a, a check. A so $20,000 per year for vacation, two vacations. Yes. And were they, are those together or could they be separate? Um, those would be together. Yeah. Okay, got it. So That's awesome. Both of us can travel separately, but like, so last year we started what is now becoming a tradition, which is in January. So I'm about to go in, in two or three days on this, uh, doing a ski trip. So last year we went, or we snowboard, not ski, but Last year, we went to Utah. We saw you there. Um, this year, we are going to Whistler, so I'm flying out there in a couple days. Uh, that's one of the two trips. Um, and then the other one will be during the summer. This this summer, we'll be going to Greece with her family, but it could be uh, I, probably Japan will be next year. That's awesome. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll call that a mission accomplished. The other one I am going to call a fail, which is it was to build more schedule flexibility. Um, basically, like, in my past, I th- this ties into professional stuff too. But like, I I'm not a person who liked having a schedule. I was, you know, I like even a 24 hour sleep schedule is not for me. Like, I want to be awake 26 hours a day and nap every day, and then gradually become nocturnal, and then gradually become <laughs> normal again. Um, I, I just think that's impractical. In the same way, you want to go on more dates with Sable, but it's not practical to do that. Like. I'm 37. No one I know is willing to tolerate me living that life. And I just need to come to terms with that. <laughs> Including your wife? Including my wife. But honestly, she would be more like the, the bigger thing is work. Like I I work with 18 other people now. And it was different when it was like me and Bracken and he was on the East Coast and I was on the West Coast. And most of our meetings in the early days of Lessening Serum were like, I was still up at 4 a.m. and he woke up at you know, 5 a.m. his time or, or, or whatever the time zones lined up. So his morning and my evening, we would talk. Uh, it doesn't, you can't run a company that way. And like, it, it would be too selfish of me 
or, or I don't know, maybe I'm rationalizing it. Whatever the case, it didn't happen. I'm, I'm, <laughs> and, and are you abandoning this? Like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you're deciding to grow up is what you're saying. Yeah. I, I actually do think like a, a personal theme for me over the last year is like, I have gone from young adult. I'm, I'm feeling the transition to middle-aged adults, basically. <laughs> Things like, oh, you have to have a calendar and schedule. And <laughs> I, I mean, I've been reliable for a long time. Okay. It's just like, <laughs> I think a lot of people were, are eager to to enter real adulthood, having kids, owning a house, all that stuff. And I, I mean, I, 23 years old is like my, I want to be that emotional <laughs> maturity level my whole life. I'm just not <laughs> eager to grow up, but like, I have to, you know? <laughs> Yeah, me too, man. I wish I could go, like, especially post-child. <laughs> I'd go back in a heartbeat to be a college yeah. kid. Yeah. Um, um, but but, so, well, but, yeah, but yeah. you're talking about, like, I just want to go back to when you were 23 for a second. Was that San Francisco, Tyler? Or was yeah, that like, Utah, yeah. Tyler? Well, but both. But I'd say San Francisco, me, starting Less Annoying CRM, but before it really had enough traction to be a real responsibility. That was kind of like the lifestyle in my head I want, but it's not. I don't even know if I'd actually like it now, but I, I still think that I would like it. So I w- just to paint this picture for everyone, at this time in Tyler's life, he had just started Less Knowing CRM. He was still consulting for Zane Benefits, which I was running. <laughs> and he was my only developer like that I could rely on to fix certain things when the site would go down. And I remember calling Tyler sometimes at 11 a.m., maybe it was noon, and I and it would ring four times. And he'd be like, hello. <laughs> I'm like, did you just wake up? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I overslept. The, I've only ever missed one flight in my life because I slept through it. It was a 5 p.m. flight. Ooh. <laughs> yes. That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> um, so those are my two goals. One, one I achieved, one I didn't. But I also want to say like a big update that I wasn't necessarily planning, but that happened is Shelly and I... Shelly and I did like a big kind of personal finance, like getting, we, we, we maintain separate finances, even though we're married, but like, I've always been kind of into it as a hobby almost. And she's, her family has always had like a, a guy, you know, how, you know, boomers have a guy to handle stuff. Um, she kind of used the same guy as her dad and stuff and just was completely like head in the sand about financial stuff. And so we kind of got together and we're like, even though we have separate finances, we still need to be together on what the plan is, what our budgets are and stuff like that. And that was actually like a really huge uh, improvement in our relationship and like my life. Uh, so uh, that, that's a pretty big win for the year, I think. That, that's a pretty personal thing. Um, is there anything you can share? Like, uh, I remember going through this with Sable when we first got married. Now we've commingled our finances completely. Um, so it's a little different kids bring up a whole other thing. Um, do you, um, is there anything, any like kind of insight you can share? Like, this is a really hard thing. I just want to just like, (laughs) this is one of the hardest things about coming together in a marriage is right. Figuring out how to get on the same page and then stay on the same page. Um, any, any, I'll share what we did. None of this is meant as advice because, like, I think what I did probably wouldn't work for you, given what I know about you and Sable. Mm. But, like, so one thing I started listening to the I Will Teach You to Be Rich podcast um, with Ramit Sethi. Um, Are you familiar with him or the podcast or any of that? I'm not. He's like a, it, it sounds really sleazy, I will teach you to be rich, but it's it's pretty just solid, good financial advice. But his podcast specifically focuses on couples. And he's sort of like, it's less financial advice and more like therapy, basically. 
Um, I, I, I don't even, I, I learn almost nothing from it about finance. Cause I already know, like I've read his book. I already know this stuff, but, um, it's really great. Like just if you're interested in human psychology and like persuasiveness and stuff, cause it's almost always, anyway, I won't go on and on, but I recommend listening to that, especially I used a lot of tactics I heard on the podcast to get, cause Shelly was very like, not intentionally resistant, but just like she, Many people get very emotional about money. I'm not that way. I'm just very like dollars and cents. What's the optimal thing? And Shelly was like, every time we'd start talking about it, like sometimes she'd start crying for no reason, you know, just like kind of emotional. Uh, podcast helped. She had a financial advisor, like I said. Um, getting Firing that person was the biggest thing we did. And it was a long journey. Uh, took a long time to like get her ready to do that. But that was huge. And then as soon as she took control of her money, she had no choice but to start learning about it. And then the final thing I'll say is like, so we started doing every week we had a one hour session where we'd go over like, okay, let's talk about how compounding works. Let's do this or that. Now it's on autopilot. So we're definitely not meeting every week, but we just had our first annual review. And so you asked, how are we going to stay on the same page? This was like a marathon. It was like four hours long. It was let's review everything. Let's check our like how much what our assets are. Let's check our retirement plans. Let's figure out what our uh, the I will teach you to be rich podcast has this concept I like called what is your rich life. So like let's daydream about the life we want and figure out what we can afford. So anyway, just kind of having a shareholder meeting once a year. We've only done it once, but that was really great. I think I like I like everything you're saying, and I wrote down the book, and I'm going to check it out. I think it cool. could help me a lot. So thanks. yeah, I, I actually. Skip the book. Just listen to the podcast. The book is like, here's how index fund funds work. You already know that. The podcast is the thing that's about like relationships, which I, I get the impression you know how money works. That's not the problem, right? Yep. Um, but yeah, that was. Uh, and then I guess I'll say one one like kind of takeaway I had from this was when I was younger, I would always try to like I would put together a financial plan for myself with the intention of it being like permanent. Just like, okay, every year as I make more money, X percent is going to go to this and Y percent is going to go to that and whatever. And what I, I've kind of transitioned this year into like money is to bring me happiness. When, when I was younger, I don't think I was wrong to do this, but I was like, I was the squirrel putting the acorns underground for winter. And now like as I enter more middle age, I'm like, I feel very comfortable financially. I'm not worried. Like I, I can start eating some of those acorns, you know, uh, and so because of that, all the planning I did in the past is is wrong now because it's like, well, <laughs> let's start. It's not like, how can I save the most money possible? It's like, I don't want to die with any money. I want to <laughs> I want to spend it now. How much am I allowed to spend such that I die with exactly zero dollars? No, I totally get it. That's that's awesome. That's yeah. mid, middle life Tyler. <laughs> this is a growing up year for Tyler. Oh, wow. I know. I, I kind of hate it. Like, I, I wish we could just stay young adult forever, but whatever. Hey, you're, you're trading... Um, you're you're basically trading sleep and flexibility of schedule for fun and money spending things. That's true. That's that's true. I'm I'm living a ridiculously comfortable life, so I'm <laughs> I'm very lucky. Um yeah, let's talk professional. How how was last year for you professionally? Um let's see. So uh, I had two core goals professionally. Um the first was supporting the growth of leg up health. Um which I broke down into its own set of goals. And then uh, the other one was my day job uh, at, at Windfall and making sure that it uh, sort of 
well, I'll, I'll cover windfall quickly because I think it's, there's not much to talk about there. Um, and, but, but I do think like there's some learnings that I had. Um, so I actually killed it at windfall. I think, um, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I actually won the windfall CEO award uh, this year. Wow. Um, like the was, CEO's favorite person basically. Yeah, basically. Um, so now everyone hates me at the company. Um, <laughs> I'm the suck up. Uh, but, but like I've, I've, I've delivered on my, like, so I had three things like prioritize both performance and people. I've done that. I've like my managerial, like I have become a much better manager at windfall than I have in the, in the past. Um, my, I, I think I don't, I think my, the people who work for, for me at windfall genuinely like working for me. That's awesome. Um, and that feels very different than it did in the past. Yeah. I, it's worth calling that out. Cause like this was in the past, you were very good at getting people to perform. But even when you and I worked together, obviously we respected each other a lot, but I've never argued, like had real yelling matches with anyone in my life except for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't do that anymore. That's awesome. Yeah. Period. The end. It's gone. Done. Um, the, uh, uh, so, so, so that's a big win. I thank you for calling that out. Um, the second thing is, uh, being a team player. I think like I'm, there are so many times where I like I've seen something before but it's not my job and it's not really my role and it's like I just keep my mouth shut I'm being okay like just like letting people come to their own conclusions and like when they want help helping but not forcing myself upon people um, my third the third sort of aspect of windfall was delivering on my responsibilities I did that um, so like I feel like I checked all these boxes um, the areas for improvement at windfall it's a very demanding job and like there's deadlines with you know, competing priorities and, um, like too much work to do and, but you still got to get it done somehow. Um, and so I, like, there are moments of like, uh, of sort of where I, I lose myself in the work. And, um, in particular when I'm working with people who are what I would call, what I would categorize as, is a below average performer, not a, not a high performer. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that they're bad people. I want to be very clear about that. It's just like, they don't like work like they're not as reliable on. Yeah, they're they not they're, knocking it out of the park. They're not knocking it out of the park, and they don't do what they say they're going to do. Or it takes three. You have to the, you have to repeat yourself three or four times, and then they still don't like. They say they get it, but they don't. I start losing my patience, and that turns into not yelling. I want to be very clear: it's not yelling, but it's a visible frustration um, yeah. with those people and just impatience. Um, and I I think like. I recently took notes on a book uh, called uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. Highly recommend it. It's a it's a not it's kind of a novelist uh, novel book, but it's it's really good. And in those moments when I lose my patience with people, I'm treating them as objects, and uh, they know it. Like it, it, there's, it's not that I'm yelling. Like it's not my t- it's not it's not that. It's that I clearly just like see them as as like is not a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want, to, I need to do better at this and I need to recognize what I'm doing in the moment. And I need to like figure out how to deal with it. And it's very different, like in, at, at windfall because I'm not the CEO. So oftentimes like, if I, if these people report to me, I can deal with it. Right. But off, but m- majority of the time when I'm, when I'm having these situations, they report up through a different executive and, it, or there are another executive or like whatever it is like, right. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's very difficult. And so I haven't figured out how to, I think I'm good at dealing with this when I am in control. Um, what I haven't figured out is how to be a team player in this regard. Uh, yeah. 
and you know, I don't have, I'm not looking for advice or anything. I don't think unless you have some, uh, well, this isn't advice, but I'll just say like, it's cool being in a situation where you're like, well, I am in control <laughs> and you may find yourself in that situation, right? Like maybe this isn't a skill you even need long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And th- there's this weird thing though. Like when, when, when you're, when someone's on your team and there's this like psychological thing that's uh, really hard, I think, where it's like, you want to be a good teammate, but you also don't want to like, you can't deal with like, it's, it's hard. Like I imagine like yeah, LeBron no, I... games, like when he's like trying to win a championship and he's like, like I'm freaking playing with Patrick Beverly, like Patrick Beverly sucks. Like, <laughs> like, but he's my teammate. Like, like, yeah. like, you know, do I go to, I don't have control. I'm not the general manager. Do I go to the general manager and say, please trade Patrick Beverly. But then I have to look Patrick Beverly in the eye and say like, right. you, you want to have their, ba- you like him as a person, you want to have their back, but also you, you want excellence. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's a mm-hmm. very, it's very, um, uh, it, it hard. Yeah. And I, I think the leadership and self-deception book is, is, is the answer. And that like, as long as it's okay to, as long as you're treating someone like a person and you're, and you're, you're thinking of them as a person, not an object, you can get through these really tough situations. Yeah. So um, talk to me about leg up health or, or do you have more on one more area for improvement? Um, and I, I don't think I would have learned this, one thing I, one of the biggest things I've learned at windfall, uh, is one of our core values. I think I've talked about it before and it's uh, leverage over optimization. But the thing I get challenged on in performance reviews, uh, every quarter is, Hey, you are very, your attention to detail is off the charts. Um, but, uh, and, and like you get it done perfectly, but sometimes perfect isn't the goal. Mm. <laughs> um, like you could have done it in half the time and been imperfect. Yeah. And gotten more done, more yeah. different stuff done. Um, so like the takeaway is, um, you know, I need to work on identifying where like, perf- like further perfection, further improvement isn't, is like not providing, there's better leverage in other yeah. things. And I, I'm still struggling with that. Uh, I'm going to talk about that later, but I have kind of that same theme on my radar too. Cool. So I'll shift to leg up health. Sorry, this, it's uh, going so long. Um, no, it's good. We got two hours scheduled here. Oh, man, I'm sorry for the people it. listening. Then <laughs> no one's listening anymore. They, they already true. realize this is one to skip. <laughs> I would love to see the analytics on this episode. It's like, oh, they're you... yeah, they're talking um, about kids and sleep. <laughs> um, all right. So support. So so my goal with Legup Health was supporting the growth of Legup Health. Um, there were four, three key deliverables here. The first was structure a partnership and financial plan that enables JD to go full time. Ding, ding, ding. Nailed this. Um, and uh, this has gone well. I think we've got a good plan in place. I mean, we'll probably, if we need to, we'll iterate it um, for the next year. The second, um, and, and and I have talked about this on the podcast, what we did. So if anyone's interested in that, feel free to email me. And um, I, I learned a lot through that process, um, mostly piggybacking on what Tyler uh, did originally. Um with part, his partnerships at Less Annoying CRM. Um, the second uh, key goal for Legup Health was growing the business to 400 clients. This was a big eh, X. Um, we doubled the client base to 100 clients or pro- thereabouts. Um, so like 25% of goal, uh, not good. Um, I think this was a bad goal in the hindsight. Well, anyway, I don't know if it was a good goal or a bad goal. Um, I think, uh, the good thing is like what's going, what's good about where we ended up is we've grown enough to keep going. So like 
I think we've grown enough for me to like say, yes, this is worth investing in. Um, uh, from a money standpoint, for JD, it's worth investing in from a deferred earnings and a time standpoint. Um, and and I think uh, what we, we're, we're leaving, we've built a foundation that we can truly grow upon. Um, what I what I think I underestimated when I set these goals last year is how much we still had to learn about executing uh, growth, like to grow. Yeah. Um, we have such a long feedback loop because you only really get to sell for a month and a half out of the year. Yep, that's exactly right. So 2022 felt like a lot of learning, and I thought it was going to be about execution. So I'm, I, I think 2023 is going to be more about execution. Um, and I'm, I feel like it feels real now. Um, yeah. We, we, we right. have 11 five star reviews, and uh, it seems like we get a new one every week or so. Um, so anyway. Um, that, that, that feels good. Um, did you have any comments on this goal? Like it feels bad. Like this is one of those goals where it feels like really crappy not to hit the goal, but what yeah, I mean, I, it was good enough. I, on the one hand, like, I, I don't know that it was a bad goal. If, if you were full-time on like up health, maybe you would have hit 400. Um, like, I don't think it was unattainable. And also you, you went, you doubled and with not super small numbers, like if you have one user and you double to two, like, no, that's not a great year. Uh, if you have 50 and you double to a hundred, even if you wanted to quadruple or whatever, um, yeah, like I, I think you got to feel good about that. And that like, if you're, if you're saying it's either working or it's not working, you got to say that's more like it's working. That's, and, that's yeah. And everyone says it takes longer. Like I just was reading a thread from Nathan Barry on Twitter today and you know, he's at 33 million ARR right now or something like that. And he's just like, yep, it takes so much longer than you think it's going to. Totally agree, and I think with this business in particular, I I do believe that the uh, that this is a business with the way we're building it. That um, I think the 100th client is going to be so much easier to get than the 100th client. Um, I I can't explain it other than I just think that this thing gets way easier to grow the more customers we have. <laughs> um, but um, at least that's a key hypothesis I have. Um, and the last little piece of this goal, and then I'll pass it over to you, is um, I wanted to fully automate the new user onboarding experience. Um, and we, we didn't fully automate it, but we got it to the point where it, it, the flow works and I'm not involved in it, um, which was the key key point. Um, so we've actually had several people sign up, go through it, um, and 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 become a client um, without uh, you know without any. A conversation between uh, me and JD. So, and you don't uh, have freemium anymore, right? Like any every user is like a customer. So you have a hundred users, basically, is what I'm saying. No, we have about 150 users. So there's still people. There's probably about 50 people ish. That's probably a little bit of an exaggeration that um, have a have created an account, but have not um, either added a policy or have not have added a policy and not made us the agent on that policy. Okay. But I guess 150 people is a number where I'm like, oh yeah, you, you don't need to have that automated yet. Yeah, exactly. The only it, reason automated is to save time and like, it's just not worth it yet. Exactly. We automated the points that made sense to automate um, so that I'm not like a bottleneck. Uh, JD is, is able to handle, handle it. And yeah. if he, when he gets to the point where it's like, man, we got 200, 300, 400 clients. Like we need to make this easier. He'll, I'll stay up one night and do it. It's actually the thing that I said ties back to the like, you said you strive for perfection instead of leverage. Um, and I said, I have a thing like that. Like we just cut a project in half because we realized we were optimizing for something that only matters once this thing starts to scale. So why, why were we going to build that from the start? So, um, yeah, same thing. Exactly the same thing. So, cool. um, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, that's, 
that's it for me. Tell me about Great. your. Yeah. Uh, so professional stuff for me. Um, I'll start with running through what I said my goals were last time and then give uh, other updates. So I said my theme was going to be, I wanted to spend more time working, but on my own terms. Basically, like a year ago, I was realizing I had kind of become a nine to five. Like this had become a job more than like me just doing whatever I want all the time, um, which to some extent it needs to when you hire employees and have a lot of customers, you have an obligation to them. But I wanted it to be more, I can work more if it's on my own terms. That was basically my my theory there. Uh, I would say like sort of this, like I was able to act on this. It wasn't, wasn't a huge success. Um, I have taken more naps. That's like a, a key in KPI for me is how many naps do I take? Um, I took more. I worked late probably one day a week, uh, which is probably more than the year before. Um, what I realized that this ties back to my personal thing, just, you know, my social life gets in the way and all that. But th the bigger thing that I've noticed is I have less deep work to do. Um, as, as my role, as the company matures and my role changes and the situation where I'm happy staying up late or working on a weekend or whatever is when I have like a coding project or a design project to dive really deep into and I can get in a flow state. If I'm just like sending a bunch of emails or having meetings or whatever, I'm not mode. It's not that I don't like that work, but like that's a nine to five day at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. whenever it ends, you turn off the computer and, and take a break and decompress. I'm not like motivated to stay up till midnight sending emails, you know? So I think just the type of work that I have right now doesn't lend itself to what I wanted for this year. Should that change or not? I don't know. I'll talk about that next. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, this is related to, so one of the things I looked, used to look forward to every year was pre this pre-pandemic, Tyler uh, booking a, you know, a, a Airbnb somewhere in Utah, and then every other night me picking up and going to dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, and then one night before you left, like going to dinner and also getting drinks and like getting really drunk, um, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Is it related to this? I mean, it definitely, it's most related to the pandemic. It just kind of like reset everyone's schedules. And I, I just didn't, I honestly haven't been like, I haven't decided not to do it. Right. Um, but do you have like the point, I think the point of those trips was, to do deep work. And it yeah. sounds like you don't have deep work to do. So therefore, would you not do those trips ever again? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to think. So I don't need to do deep work. I, a question I have to confront is like, should I make up deep work to do? Like the dev team so productive, like much more productive than a year ago. They don't need me coding shit. Um, I still am doing a lot of valuable work. Don't get me wrong. And I have, and I'm, it's, it's interesting work, but like, yeah, I would have to kind of make up a project. It wouldn't be like, this is the project the company needs me to do. Should I do that? <laughs> I don't know be like, it'd be like Tyler's 20% time project. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and like uh, the most recent one I did like this was starting Less Annoying Business, with like my blog, basically. Uh, it wasn't coding or design, but it was like me going out and creating something new. Right now, I don't have anything I want to create like that, but I th this is a good question and a good challenge to me. Uh, thank you for saying that all. Let me think about that. I'm not ready to say more right now, I don't think. Okay. Um, but yeah, that brings us to the next thing, which is like one of my goals a year ago was to make more time for myself to get better at design. Oh, yeah, that's right. Individual contributor design work. I remember this. Um, 
I'm going to call that a push as well. I definitely didn't nail it. I did some design work. I started taking a course and kind of stopped and all that. But the big thing that changed is Tori, who's our designer, she was like just coming on a year ago. Uh, she was sort of working for us, but she was like, basically, she didn't know how to design yet. I was training her. And then she has now surpassed me. I was hoping to convince her to move to St. Louis and become a full-time employee. That didn't happen, but she's, I think, as far as I know, happily in a kind of contractor role doing our design. That puts me more in like a product manager role, which I really like, actually. Um, I'm still super involved in like making product decisions. I'm the one responsible for making sure when a design gets finalized and sent to the dev team, it's something I stand behind. But a lot of the like moving pixels around is now being done by Tori instead of me. So the thing I, the, the reason I wanted to learn that design stuff, I think I'm getting it uh, just without doing the designs myself. I still like maybe aspire to being a better designer one day, but I don't know. So I, I, is a takeaway there that that wasn't the right thing that, that is your passion or is it something else? Yeah, I think it's like if you look at it from a jobs to be done thing, the job was like, I want to I want our product to be more beautiful. And I thought like to do that, I need to be able to make more beautiful designs. And now what I realize is if I can hire and manage someone else who's capable of making beautiful designs, like I'm getting what I wanted out of that. Oh my gosh, Tyler, adult. Uh, strike three, like uh, your <laughs> example three. Wow. Yeah. Trust me. I still waste a lot of time on uh, like little stuff that CEOs should not be doing, but <laughs> no, and I, and I have done a lot of design. I've, I've in the last week I've, I designed one of the, th one of the things Tori and I were both stuck on. I went in on and solved myself. So it's not that I'm not designing, but it is like, I know what I'm good at. What I'm good at is like, UX, like how how can we make this so that a low tech user can understand how to do this? It doesn't take more clicks than it needs to. It doesn't bloat the software. I'm good at that. What I'm not good at is like, and when someone looks at it, they think like, oh, it's pretty. That's what I'm not good at. Um, <laughs> so now I can do the stuff I'm good at, and then I hand it off to Tori, and I'm like, hey, can you like make the corners rounded correctly <laughs> and like all that type of shit? That's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm just not. I'm the same way. Like, if you come to my house, like. There, there's nothing hung up on my walls. Like, I'm just it's, not an aesthetic person. It is quite functional, though. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, and then uh, other goals I had, like more specific. I wanted to release the redesign we're doing of Lessening Serum. Didn't do that. I have a whole story that I won't get into, just in the interest of time. Basically, like it was a learning experience for me. Like we, I messed up personally in managing that project, but I think I learned a lot from it. Um. I said I wanted to do two blog post worthy releases per quarter, meaning like a feature update to Lessening Serum that's worth writing a blog post about and like people might actually care. I think uh, I'm going to give myself a push on this. We definitely shipped more than two things a quarter that we did write blog posts about. I think some of them were a little smaller than what I wanted and next year will be more along what I, the lines of what I meant. But the things we did do, one... Um, this isn't quite how I phrased it, but what I meant was I wanted to stop just being reactive about what we work on on the product with Lesser Wings CRM. Customers ask for stuff. Prior to this year, we just like prioritize stuff like what do customers want the most. As of right now, we we I would say pay like a small tax in the form of like, I want to constantly do some things that customers are asking for, mostly so our customer service team feels heard. But the vast majority of our product priorities are driven by helping our growth, helping our long-term strategy. Like I feel like we've taken control of that instead of being reactive. So I'm giving myself a check on that. Um, 
and I ran the coding fellowship, which where we teach people how to code for the summer, which for the previous three summers I was not in charge of. The person who was left, so I had to run it again last year, and that was a success. And you're going to continue to do that, or did you did you decide not to do that anymore? I can't remember. We're going to continue doing the fellowship. One of the newer developers on the team, uh, Eva, has kind of like is co-running it with me next year. So like a lot of the work I've handed off to someone else, but the, we as a company are still doing the coding fellowship. So that was a lot of me talking, but um, maybe okay. These I have some more updates. I'll try to move through these quickly. These are not these were not goals from last time, but this is like some updates on hap- what happened. One is I uh, something I'm really happy with. I feel like I've moved towards being more of a CEO and less of a manager. Um, and what that really comes down to is that most of the employees at Lessening CRM are either CRM coaches or developers. Michael and Robert, the two the leaders of those two teams, respectively, they have taken over more management, not just like leading the team. Like there's a difference between I'm the best developer, or at least the I'm the developer who does the code reviews or whatever. That's different from like, I am managing this team of people. Like if we need to hire someone, I'll go out and hire the person, that type of thing. Um, I am less involved in the day-to-day operations of those two teams. Uh, at this point, I mostly just meet with people who are either one of those two managers or who are on teams of one. So I'm still doing some management, but a lot less. And I, I feel good about that. I like the CEO type leadership. I don't like the manager type leadership. You're doing a lot of the manager type leadership right now, right? <laughs> Yep. But you, you seem very good at it. I, I don't, it's not just that I don't like it. I don't think I'm good at it. Yeah. I I think you're probably better at it than you give your credits, yourself credit for. Um, I don't let, know if I like it. I wouldn't let say Let me rephrase. That, to yeah. be good at it, I have to, it, it's something I really don't like. Mm, yes. Like just constantly touch base and like, I really love working with people like working with Bracken, my brother slash co-founder. I'm like, I know, like, if something's wrong, you're going to tell me something's wrong. Like, we just have so much trust built. I know. Or if you and I worked together again, Rick, it would be the same way. Like, you wouldn't have to babysit me and I wouldn't have to babysit you. There's such a a power imbalance with a typical CEO to employee. It's nothing against the employee. It's not their fault. But, like, they won't necessarily come to you with everything. And so you have to pull it out of them. And I just hate, like, you have to talk to them so much and ask the same questions over and over. Seven times, ask the same question seven times to get the truth. And it leads to a lot of unpleasant conversations. Not that anyone's mad at anyone, but it's like, you have to be like, basically, in this meeting, you're going to tell me a bunch of shit you're, even if you're not unhappy, act like you're unhappy and tell me all the stuff you're unhappy about. It's it's really interesting. And the, the trust thing is at the core of that. But the, it's not just the, that they won't, you have to like have these unpleasant conversations, but you also have to, because of the lack of trust, you have to put all these guardrails in place that actually yeah. keep the trust from being established. Like you have to remind them about things. You have to, you know, have regular meetings. You have to have require them to report on things. Um, yeah. That just totally erode what um, you and your brother have. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like anyway, it's, it's so a I, very interesting I, observation. I, I really love like working with people where I don't, I don't worry about that as much. I love, I, I I'm glad I'm not a manager in those scenarios where I would feel like I have to do that stuff as much. Um, growth, I've said this a million times, so I won't belabor it. Growth was bad this year, but it wasn't as bad as I expected. Um, a year ago, I was like kind of thinking we might average, we, we measured an ARR per month, new ARR per month. Uh, I was thinking it might be 10,000 a month. It ended up being 17.5 um, throughout the year. 30,000 is like, 
meh, but good enough. So we're still just over half, like, like we're, we're not really that close to what I would call good enough, but better than I expected. And I, I feel like we've kind of had some positive momentum at the end of the year. So I'm actually pretty optimistic about this going into next year. Um, and then the, the, maybe the thing I'm most excited about is the product team getting focused. Uh, we, we have six developers now, one is still in training. So practically speaking only five, but some, at some point next year, we'll be up and running with six. Uh, I've talked about on this podcast, the new project management system and really the, the, the thing that I, so what would happen before is like, we'd plan a two week jog as we call them, like just a little project. And three months later, I'd be like, Hey, what's going on with that? And the reality, like the developer either got, you know, people lose motivation or they just get blocked on something or they go down a rabbit hole. And we didn't have a mechanism for like jolting people out of that and getting them back on track. And I feel like we've really matured, even though I'm not like a people manager, I'm much more of a project manager than I was. And I actually like that work and um, I'm feeling good about that. Yeah, I, I it's, it seems like I in the last like three or four episodes we've we've recorded, I feel a lot of momentum um, from your product roadmap, um, from integrations to, uh, you know, all the, like the little things that you've mentioned, like, uh, what was the other one, the, the UI stuff. Um, it, it, it the, the larger customer, um, uh, UI improvements, it, it feels like there's, there's real momentum there that like, if you just stay the course and, uh, it's going to, it's going to, you know, compound into something. I don't know what, but like, it should be really good. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see what happens. Cool. I, I feel the same way. We'll move on, but I'm going to talk about that again when we talk about my professional goals. So, um, okay. We spent 45 minutes looking backwards. Let's look forwards. Uh, I have one question for you on this. Yeah, I know okay. you want to move on to the next thing, but like, uh, I mean, you said growth was bad, mm-hmm. but not as bad as you expected. I mean, talk, can you share just a little bit like how you're feeling about that like bad's a bad word. Um, yeah. like it's not, that's not very positive. Um, you're pretty cynical, I would say like, uh, yeah, I, things, I try like, not to be disingenuous and like, yeah. I think it's a, a toxic trait of most founders is to like, you're like, Oh, things are good. I'm really stoked. I'm really excited. We're out of business. You know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. uh, I, I want people to be able to trust what I say, which means when something's bad, you should say it's bad, but it's not tr- tragic. It's not like, I, I feel fine actually. Um, I felt kind of helpless six months ago. And I, I think I acknowledged that on the podcast. Like it's not like we can, we can last a long time at our current growth rate, but the problem is like, we didn't have any ideas on what to do about it. Um, now I feel a, I think we we've reorganized the, the we have a, a marketer and kind of a sales biz dev person. We've reorganized what they're working on. I think got them focused on stuff. We've doubled our budget, which seems to be working well. Now, if I, we should bounce back and have a good January, February, March, if we don't, if th- three months from now that hasn't happened, I'm again, I'm, it's not going to be like despair. The company is over, but like my enthusiasm right now will be dampened. But right now, I think we're about to see a pretty big bump in the new year, which is normal. Like normally we have a really slow Q4 and then a really big Q1. If we have that, which I'm thinking we probably will, I feel great. I especially think my my real goal is like, I want to be in a place where product, we can just make, like, if we just have the best customer service, low prices, and a fantastic product, the business is healthy enough. We don't have to like 
dominate the CRM space. We need to be healthy enough to like beat inflation, basically. Um, I think we can get there this next year where product will get us there. I really liked how you laid that out. Do you like, I like, I like that low prices, um, uh, great customer service and constantly improving product, like, um, and expand, improving and expanding product. Like that is, that's a strategy that will win over time. All you have to do is last. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's my skill set. It's the whole comp. It's in our DNA as a company going out and doing SEO and shit like that. If that's what it takes, like we'll do it. But uh, nobody here likes that work. Even our marketer, what she's really good at is engaging our current customers, figuring out what they want help with, helping them get more out of the product. Like even our marketer is not interested in going out and generating demand, you know? So, uh, but no, I, I feel good. I'm in a, I'm in a good, uh, assuming Q1 goes well, I'm, I'm excited. Um, well, how are we doing on time? Like, I feel like that was a pretty, like reflections way harder in my opinion than goals. Um, I feel like yeah. that was a pretty, pretty good reflection. I think so. Um, yeah, no, I think we're good. I'd probably say let's, let's quickly move through personal goals. Um, and then we can dive into the the professional goals if that sounds okay to you. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I have two, two personal goals, <laughs> real simple. Yeah. And, and, Frankly, like this first one is all that matters until it happens. I have to get my weight down. I want to get below 200 pounds. I haven't been below 200 pounds in probably five years. Um, and I, it's time, like I've got all the habits in place. It's time to start shedding it. And, uh, and I, I can but do you, it. You said you've been exercising and eating healthy and stuff. Like is the problem you're too jacked right now? Like why aren't you under 200 pounds? Losing weight uh, significant weight, um, is very different than being healthy. Um, and this, the, 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 the jolt I need is I just basically need to keep the same habits I have, but I need like a jolt a three month, jolt of just losing tons of weight so that I can reset. Um, mm. cause this is, it's very difficult in my opinion to live a lifestyle that where you lose weight over a long period of time, because that means you're like starving, like you're, you're starving yourself every day, like every week on average. Um, right. I, and so I, I, I need to jolt myself. Um, so normal. yeah, so I, I, uh, and then return to normal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's goal. Number one goal. Number two is, uh, and this is only important if I'm on track on number one, um, I'm not going to worry about anything else personally. I, I believe that if I solve my personal health problem, uh, like and really get like happy and, and controlled there, good. It will, it will have a positive impact on family life. It'll have a positive impact on work life. And like, so I'm, I'm really focusing this year. I'm not yeah. gonna, um, cool. and then, uh, I want to write a newsletter most Sundays. Like, so if I divide 52 weeks, it's a weekly newsletter by two and then add one, that's 27 newsletters. So if we're talking this time next year and I've written 27 newsletters, uh, I'll call that a win. Cool. I like it. Um, for me, like I really struggled to come up with something here, um, which uh, this is going to be like the most first world problem ever, but like, I'm kind of, is the problem that I'm complacent or uncreative or whatever, or is it that I'm actually in a good spot and I just have to like enjoy it? Um, cause you listen to like various podcasts with like my first million does this to me. I listen to it and I always just feel like shit because there's all these people doing all these great things. And I'm like, just watching Netflix, but I love watching Netflix, you know? <laughs> 
So I, I struggle to come up with a goal and that's something I'm going to try and figure out is like, do I want to be somebody who's constantly pushing myself or is, is being content okay with me? But anyway, what I came up with, um, one is I want to take more vacation and make it up, make up work time. Like this is back to the schedule flexibility thing I said earlier, but, um, I don't want to like, I've, I've, I acknowledge I need to like go to bed at the same time as my wife most nights, but <laughs> Uh, I think I, I do work most weekends, at least a little bit, and I work some nights. I work a lot more than I have to. I want to pay myself back for that by taking more vacation than we allow to per, to, to normal employees who work nine to five. Um, especially we're talking about potentially like, you know, a week during the summer working remotely, but just being in Utah or, you know, something like that. So I might, might see you there. That'd be amazing. Um, and the other one is back to becoming more of an adult. Shelly and I talked about our rich life. One of the things we both want is to make some improvements to our house, which is stupid because we live in like in a super nice, it's not like extravagant, but like nothing is wrong with our house, but we're like, it would be cool to have a better guest hosting space, uh, like, you know, just some minor improvements to our house. That's kind of one of An our- An arcade room. <laughs> exactly. Like- Actually, you know, I should have put this on my personal things. I bought a PS5. And I've been playing video games with Shelly instead of watching TV with her. What a what a life hack! So much better than watching TV together. Yeah, interactive. I wish uh, Sable. I'm going to make you listen to this. We need to start playing video games together. It's great. She's banned video games, by the way. I'm not. I'm, I get too addicted. You you are an intense video <laughs> game player. You're yeah. <laughs> I remember coming home when we were roommates and you were like yelling at the TV and throwing shit because someone was beating you at Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think I, okay, maybe I did lose. I don't like losing. Oh, I mean, you didn't normally. Anyway. Uh, okay. So that's our personal goals. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk professional. Um, yeah, go, go into yours. Okay. So, okay. My theme is going to be exactly what you said earlier, which is, I think we built a lot of momentum in 2022, but we haven't seen the results of it yet. So for example, I said like, instead of just working on random products that our customers are requesting, we're working on growth, product-led growth-related stuff for the first time ever. We haven't finished any of them yet. Um, we're about to launch two of them probably in the next week, but we haven't like seen the results of any of it. So I think we've already done the work. It's time. Uh, what I wrote here is it's time to reap the rewards from what we sowed in 2022. Um, yeah. So I'm going to, I probably wrote these in the wrong order. Uh, one of those things is like the urgency on the dev team. That thing I said where a two week project takes three months, that's just, that's never going to happen again. Um, I feel like we have a system to prevent that. Uh, I think we're going to ship stuff faster. Uh, Robert, our lead developer, I, I wish I could attribute this quote to the right place, but I forget where he said it's from, but he shared with me what he read, which is developer burnout comes from not shipping fast enough. Um, and I think that's probably overly simplistic. That's not like meant to be taken literally, but like when a developer goes a month without shipping anything, they're much more likely to go another month without shipping anything. The, the, this is, I, I totally relate to this. And on a smaller level, like our RevOps team, like we, we just totally out, out of one of our episodes, I went and I redid the entire, we work out of Asana and I broke down Asana tickets to like, like small bite-sized things. It, it, it can't be an Asana ticket if it can't be done like, and like committed to within a time frame. Yeah. And I, I, the, 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 the change in attitude just from checking boxes off, like it's smaller impact, but it's faster repetition. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. 
Like I send a weekly newsletter, internal newsletter out to the whole company. And when I get to say, you know, so-and-so developer shipped this this week, I mean, I they read that and they're like, hey, everyone sees my work. And then it's like, I hope I, I want to get that feeling again soon. So I just feel like the, the dev team is in a much better place to really move. And project management really, really fucking matters. I, I won't belabor the point uh, on this episode, but I'd love to dive deeper on on that topic. I think there's a general theme there of like momentum, like what stays in motion, what what is in motion stays in motion, something like that. Like mm-hmm. creating motion. I like this like theme for you. Like, yeah, like, oh, I, I, yeah, it gets me excited. Great. And then multiply that by the, this other thing, which is like working on the right stuff in the past. It, I, I've said this many times, but there's six developers. We'll pick six projects. And now like if a developer can contribute to the most important project, they're on it. And we've got, we've only got two projects going on right now instead of six. Uh, which means they're going to like ship, like we're going to ship our two biggest things in the last couple of years in, in within a couple months of each other. Um, and that's going to be, and then we're going to ship another big thing a few months after that, unless something goes horribly wrong. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. All of the work has already been done there. It's just a matter of executing. Um, and then also like on, on the growth side, I'm going to set a number goal. I want to have 36,000 ARR growth per month. I said we were at 17 and a half last year. Um, if it happens, it won't be because of anything we do in 2023. It'll just be, we already did the work. We can't see it because we're in the slow period of the year, but we're spending the money. We've, we just got a million. We've got this integration partnership thing going. That's, that's been going really well. We're shipping Zapier next week. We're shipping a new API next week. We've got this redesign coming. All of this has already basically been done and it's just a matter of seeing results. Um, to be specific, just so that a year from now when we do this, I want to have shipped the redesign, uh, finish all of our first round growth projects, which is Zapier, the redesign, uh, our API platform, and event invites. Those are four projects that are all growth related. Those should all be shipped. Um, and then um, it's not as growth related, but I also want to close the gap between us and other CRMs. What I mean by that, I said earlier, three things I want to be good customer service, low price, good product. When we shipped, when we launched Less Annoying CRM in the early days, we weren't like, we didn't really have an opinion on what a CRM should be. We're just like, the market decides what a CRM is. We're just going to do that, but we're just going to do it in a really simple, basic way that does what small businesses need. Over time, I think we've started trying to have too much of an opinion and it's not necessarily right. We don't have any real insight here. So what I want to get back to is be like, what do customers expect when they sign up? We're going to do all that. We're just going to do it better than everyone else. As opposed to like, we're going to have a different set of features and that's how we're going to differentiate ourselves. I agree. I love it. Cool. You, you got, you got to, yeah. Price, so, lower price wins when there's not huge trade-offs and functionality. Yeah, exactly. And we're not going to, we're not going to get there in one year, but like I, I listed two things here, email logging being a lot better. Um, and a Kanban view of our reports are two things that when we started in 2009, those we were like ahead of the pack on both of those. And um, the, the market has kind of leapfrogged us and it's time for us to catch up there. That's great. Uh, and then the final thing I'll just say is like, if there is a recession, uh, I want it to have as little impact on our employees and our customers as possible. I feel very confident we're in like a really good position for that, but that would be the biggest win of all is if like I, I view this as a career, a lifelong trust building exercise and to make it through a recession and honor all of our commitments. 
I want to be able to then in the future be able to point back at that and be like, look, look at what happened when we were actually put to the test. We didn't lay people off. We didn't screw over customers, all that stuff. So that's, that's my goal. That's a, I mean, might, might be out of your control, but it might be, but yeah, I mean, it's a goal. I guess, I guess you, yeah, I, I hope that happens too. I, man, that would suck. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about you professionally goals? Um, for windfall, I didn't bother putting anything on here. I just want to keep going. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, I'm not going to make that a focus of this podcast this year. Um, I think I'm, I'm good there. The, uh, uh, well, I will say one thing actually, now that I'm thinking of it, cause I just like, I just told Sable this before, um, the podcast, there is one area that is holding me back at windfall and I do want to solve it. And that is, I have entered a, a company in a domain where I am not an expert and it is incredibly uncomfortable for me, uh, in general, but it, it, it limits my ability to impact, uh, revenue, uh, and particularly within marketing and sales and, uh, anything customer facing, I, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to address that. Um, and I think like I'm probably three months away from like a 80% knowledge and then like another three months away from like expert level. And I need to close that gap by July, um, at the latest. Uh, and, and I think I can do it. Um, so it's getting really knowledgeable about like how data services work. Yeah. I'll talk about it and what do we want to learn? Um, okay. but like, it's basically, uh, you know, windfall plays at the intersection, I would say of like machine learning data, uh, ad tech, um, all of which I have like zero pre- previous knowledge of. And, um, yeah, and I gotta, I gotta learn it all. Cool. I like it. Uh, so, so for Lega health, like the, the general goal is support. Like I'm still in a support role. I'm not in a driver role. Um, so support the le- growth of Lega health is the objective. My key results, um, I'm using kind of an OKR framework, if you're familiar with it, um, where there are three key results. Um, I want to retain JD another for full, full time for another year. Um, uh, I want to double the client base again. So t- approximately 200 clients. Like we should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I want to build, this is the stretch goal. I want to build V1 of leg up benefits and generate 1K per month in MRR from it, which is approximately three or four customers. Awesome. I love these goals because I think someone who wants to build a calm company, like this is a, a masterclass in, in how you set goals for a calm company. Because let's start at the top. Retain JD. It's not getting anything. It's just saying the longer we can stay in the game, the better our chances of success are. It's not hi- I'm going to hire five people or anything like that. I think that's awesome. Last year, your goal was to 8x to 400 clients. This year, your goal is to 2x to 200. I, that acknowledges, right? Like, that's the, that's the more realistic path. If you hit 400, that's awesome. But what do you think has to happen to, to hit 200? Do it, like, take all the things that we did well um, during open enrollment this year, focus on them, and then try experiment with like two or three other things. Um, uh, I can be more specific, but like, there's basically things that we're working. We just need to keep doing and focus more on. And then there's a few things that we believe will work and we need to do those things. So what are you doing between now and say like September, whenever you start really ramping up for open enrollment, is it mostly working on leg up benefits or is is there something you have to do to prepare for open enrollment all year? Uh, so there are two main things that we need to do. Um, 
uh, sorry, there are three main things that we need to do. Let me make sure I got that right. The first is we need to continue to scale, figure out how to scale profiling consumers. So like, uh, if, if you imagine a, a, an Excel spreadsheet with, um, every person and you know, that, that are, is, a, it's title is like the list of people in Utah that we know buy their own health insurance. We want to see that, that, that list grow every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, predictably. And it doesn't mean they're like going to become clients. It's just like, we know that this household that lives at this address with this email address, with this phone number, with this Mr. and Mrs. or, or just Mr. or Mrs. buys their health insurance through the Utah marketplace. So like that is one like just play that we have to run every day, disciplined. And then when we figure like crack code, figure out how to scale it, whether it's outsourcing to a call center and doing telemarketing. Yes. Telemarketing or, um, you know, market research, whatever we want to call it. Like we have to figure that out. The second thing is, um, what I would call like being there when people have life events. Um, so we know that like when someone has a life event and they get in touch with us, our conversion rate on that is huge. Like, Mm. so it's, it's content marketing, like, like really being found online when people uh, have us through advertisement and, um, well, good, better content positioning. It's refer, referral partnerships um, with other insurance agents um, who don't do what we do. So that when people go to them asking them to help and they go, no, no, we have Leg Up Health as a partner uh, because they're going to get found on life events. Um, and then uh, it's uh, within life events, it's, it's the employer play. Like uh, a huge life event for us is employment change. Um, and so we have to figure out how to insert ourselves into the um, employment uh sort of conversation. Um, yeah. and that's the leg up benefits play. So I don't know if that was clear or not. Yeah. This is like way too shady, but I'm imagining like you give a finder's fee when companies do layoffs, you pay them money to like refer all the people that got laid off to you. Um, anyway, and then, yeah, the leg up benefits thing, the, like the, the employee offer and, and getting actual MRR for yourself as opposed to just insurance commissions, like that seems, I mean, 1K a month is not, doesn't, I mean, that, I feel like you could just sell a, a Google sheet. We already do. And, and, we, and, have a, we have customers you, paying us this. You get already. to 1K MRR for that. So it seems like very achievable. And it, it's that you want to invest in a product. Like you don't want to sell a shitty product and get that revenue because you know you could do it probably. Um, We're already doing it. Really invest. Well, you're not at 1K, are you? We're at 400. Okay. So the money here is not at all ambitious, but the the product is what's ambitious about that. Yep. Love it. I think that's great. <sighs> I am worried about what's your biggest worry this year? So I am actually not worried about work at all. Um, I'm not worried about leg of health. Obviously like there's always, always this fear like around my, the first goal. Like I, my partnership with JD is critical for the success of leg of health. So I've got to um, cement that, but I'm, I feel good about that right now. Um, so I'm not, I would, I would put that here normally, but I'm not worried about it. Um, my biggest worry is mostly personal and family health, which probably, um, it's interesting that I don't have a goal related to this. I do have a goal related to personal health. Um, but, but fundamentally like Sable and I are building a family. We both have work very demanding jobs. Like she's a VP at a, at a unicorn. Um, and so it's it's really hard for us both to prioritize our own personal health and our family health right now. Um, 
and uh, and I know that like when I when my personal health uh, is not prioritized, like it affects everything else negatively. Mm-hmm. So the way I'm addressing this right now is the personal health goal of like getting below 200 pounds and like kind of pulling the bandaid off. Um, and I'm hoping that that will address the family health thing, or maybe we just survive this period of of craziness. Um, but uh, that's my the biggest craziness word. can last a long time though. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. This All is right. something Sable and I are talking about constantly. So it's, it's, that's uh, good. it's, um, but that's my biggest worry is personal and family health. Hmm. Um, mine is, so the easy thing is growth, which is probably the truth, but like, that's what I said last year and it's, it's too easy. So I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, uh, something I kind of touched on earlier, which is product relevance. Um, that I think most like B2B SaaS companies have some enterprise component where it's like, your salesperson goes golfing with so-and-so and they're like, well, we're considering these four options and here's where you're weak or whatever. We don't really have that, um, nor do we have any real uh, inspiration for like what a good CRM should be. Like just we, none of us have any sales instincts or anything like that. We've got good product instincts, but we don't know what a sales team or, or a customer service team needs. Um, and so I just worry that like we have it's exactly what I was just talking about. Like we've been reacting to what customers have requested, but our customers primarily are like six year old people who have never used a CRM before. Have they been guiding us towards where we like, are we going to where the puck is or to where the puck is going? It's like Henry Ford. Like if you had asked, uh, what's his quote about like, if I had asked yeah. um, people what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think it's a great way to make our, like, there's this huge disconnect I talk about all the time, which is if you go on G2 and you pull up the grid of CRM companies and there's like 300 of them on there, we are the highest ranked one in terms of user satisfaction. And we are nowhere close to the most successful CRM. So like what's going on there? And I think part of it is we've made this group of people happy, but we've kind of like become less relevant in the broader market. Um, now, the good news is I don't think this is going to be that hard to address, but a, we need to actually do it. Um, I think this is going to take a shift. But B, it's it also this is not something I've been priming the team for because it didn't occur to me until recently. And I need to. So one of my biggest worries is getting everybody bought in and behind. Like, we need to go build a bunch of shit that we've previously been saying, like, oh, like that's what other CRMs do. That's not what we do, you know. And it's time for us to go into copycat mode a little bit. I think. No, I, I you got to compete, man. You got to, yeah. you got to, you got to win. Does this, um, do you believe that this, uh, can be done at the price point that you're at, or do you have to introduce tiering of pricing, um, higher price tiers, that sort of thing? No, I, cause the goal is not to become Salesforce. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we need machine learning. I don't even think we need forecasting. I think we just need basically like slightly better reporting, but not nothing too sophisticated a little bit of automation. And by that, I just mean like when you complete a task, ask them what the next task is, you know, not like too much. Um, and then you, you mentioned integrations. I think that's another one, but to me, that's phase two here. Like we, there's only, we can't build 500 integrations. That's just not going to happen. So, uh, that wasn't really a good answer to what you asked, but I think we can do most of what I think we can do. Enough, there might be like, if if you imagine there are two, 200% of what we need is available, if we pick the right 100%, we can do it at our price point and with our team. Does that make yeah, sense? It's, you, you, there's a the Venn diagram and there's an overlap. 
Yeah. And you got to identify what that is and do that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, well, I would just say that I do feel like I am a, a pretty, like, I'm just, I'm just realizing like what I don't know about Winful, I do know about your business. Like I'm a heavy CRM user. I'm re- head of RevOps at a, uh, you know, anyway, like I, to the extent that I can share like insight and knowledge, um, and help, uh, identify the, the car version of, of less annoying CRM. Um, yeah. don't, he- don't hesitate to leverage me, I guess is all I would say. I appreciate that. I, I will probably take you up on that. I, I at the same time, the goal is not to get people, companies like Windfall as a client. It's really that, so in 2009, the, the target we started with was like low tech, low tech users who, I don't want to make it about age, but like obviously on average, older people are less comfortable with technology um, and older people tend to own small businesses. So like we were kind of targeting 60 year old people who d- hated technology in 2009. Now those 60 year olds are 74 or whatever, um, 73. Like, who's the person that was 60 in 2009? What does that person look like in 2030? Not the, not the same person, but the new cohort. It's someone who's like Gen X instead of a boomer. It's someone who used Salesforce at their big corporate job before starting their small business, whereas the previous generation of small business owners, CRMs didn't exist when they were getting their start in their career. It's just like adjusting to a new generation of low-tech small business that's still, I think, who we want to go after. Yeah, and that's and that's probably where I'm not very helpful because I, I would not consider myself low tech. Um, but I, I do think like leg up health would be like you, you'd want to be under like you'd want leg up health to s- seriously consider less knowing CRM in a CRM yeah. valuation evaluation. Agree. Um, we wouldn't and, want windfall, but we would yeah, want leg up. Health. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I think I could wear that hat. So feel free to like leverage me, um, but like discount. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate uh, that. But that's my biggest worry is just like, A, di- did we already drop the ball too much? But then B, can we get the company focused around doing this well? And I, I think we can. I'm, I'm actually honestly yeah. don't think it's going to be that hard. But yeah, and your goals are aligned to this worry. So yeah, um, yeah I, I want to help. So like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I'll bring this up on the podcast more. We can just do it yeah. live on air. Uh, just talk about it more. more. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. What do we want to learn? How about I'll just dive into this since I'm yeah, go for talking. It. Um, yeah, this is another one that took me a long time. Uh, again, I'm, I'm like second guessing. Am I like pushing myself? Am I not pushing myself hard enough because I'm not like more curious or something? Um, so this is inst- I'm going to answer. I'm going to like not quite answer the question here of what do I want to learn next year? Instead, I'm going to say like something I want to get better at. Um, and that is. Uh, I've identified through conversations with employees at Lessoning Serum recently that we have basically we're not getting credit for a lot of the stuff we're doing well with employees because the way we handle stuff is too complicated and people don't understand it. And then they it just like they anytime I explain something to people, they just like forget it. And we've done a lot of things. You you sometimes almost borderline criticize me for like bending over backwards too much for employees. And I don't think we're getting credit for doing it in all cases. And I want to get better at communicating how the company works to employees, partially to get credit for it. And just like, so everybody understands what's going on. That was probably very vague, but. Um, no, you're, ta- you're saying you want to be a CEO. Well, yeah, but the thing is, it's not that I haven't been communicating, to be clear. I. I spend a huge chunk of my day thinking about 
what's changing. I write a newsletter every week. I give a presentation every six months. I do. Uh, there's a lot of communication. It's not that I haven't been doing my job. It's that I haven't been doing it well. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I think like, uh, the, um, have you ever read any Patrick Lynn? Linconi or Lintioni or whatever his name is. Yes. You recommended one of those books, which I did read. Yeah. He has a book. He has a framework um, around the job of a CEO. Um, and like, it's like the, the job of the CEO or something like that. But anyway, it's um, like, I think like the, the there are th like he has four goals. One is like create clarity. Second is, um, you know, second is uh, build a cohesive team. The third is reinforce clarity. And then there's something else. I don't remember what it is. I think you have a like really strong reinforcement and then you have a, you have a really strong cohesive cohesion. You have strong over communication. But what you're talking about here is creating further clarity uh, for everyone and then doubling down on that clarity. It's almost like becoming a broken record is what you're talking about. It, yeah, there's definitely that like repetition is a big thing. Cause like an example that came up recently is we have this like organizational structure of like, I'm the CEO Bracken has an equal ownership stake in the company and in a sense is equally powerful to me, but like nobody sees that because he's not in a leadership role at the company. And then we have a leadership team, which is mostly managers. And then I have other, anyway, I gave a whole presentation on this like a year and a half ago about how this works and why we did it this way. And then like five people at the company started working here since then and they don't know it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so part of it is re-communicating it over and over and over. But also a part of it is like simplifying a lot. Like I'm a very systems driven person where I'm like, if I give you the first principles, that's the key commu thing to communicate. And then you will derive from that all everything else. Cause that's how I think nobody is spending time thinking about this stuff as much as I do. Of course it's not their job. Like this is their day job. Like th th they're not worrying about how was company culture formed, for example. <laughs> um, so let me give you a couple concrete examples. Like I just, hand waved this complicated decision-making power structure, right? The way I should explain it is I'm the CEO, Michael manages CRM coaches, Robert manages devs. That's the org chart, <laughs> right? It's not even quite true. It's like I'm, I'm stripping away a lot of the nuance, but no one's going to remember the nuance. So I just need to be able to explain it more concretely. Another version of this is a lot of our policies are like, well, like if you read our wiki on all our like how do you take a day off work? It's like five paragraphs because it's like, well, there's these situations and there's that and that and that. And I want to get to more like, you get 30 days of vacation. You're expected to work nine to five. Talk to me if you want an exception. Right. J just like, here's two sentences uh, that strips away a lot of nuance that is important to me and that me and the other leaders at the company need to understand, but that every employee does not necessarily have to like know the whole you know, 10,000 word explanation of how this works. Yeah. You're instead of leading with, uh, the phrase that covers all exceptions, you're leading with the 90% coverage and then saying, uh, you know, talk to me for, for exception. Yeah. This is actually, th this idea, this approach came because we we've been focusing more. One of the kind of projects internally at the company this year was like better kind of accessibility and accommodations for people with disabilities and stuff like that. And one of the big concepts there is like you, the goal isn't to make a policy that works for everybody because like, for example, imagine a meeting with a blind person and deaf person, like the blind person wants everything to be said and the deaf person wants everything to be written. Those two things conflict with one another, right? 
instead figure out what everyone needs and give it to them rather than making a policy that gives every like accommodates every possible scenario even when you don't need that you know mm-hmm. um so yes uh that that's been one of my learnings so anyway um i blabbered on a lot but th- that's what i want to get better at is simplifying the communication so everyone understands how things work as much as they need and no more that's great i, I there's uh I, I want to make sure I'm going to write this down because I think there's something powerful there that I could get better at with communication. Because um, I think I sometimes try to cover all my bases too. Uh, it's like a really good way to feel smart, right? You're like, yeah. oh, I thought about all this stuff. I have this cool system, and then no one, no one cares. What do you? What's the phrase for this? Like, what, what do you call this uh, tactic? Yeah, I don't know. You're good at this, uh, uh, at like coming up with cutesy terms for stuff. Um, but yeah, I think like the, the one thing I will say is like in order to create simplicity, you do have to know the complexity. So um, mm-hmm. like only you can do this. Uh, if you were to dele- delegate this to someone else, it would be very difficult for them to succeed without the first principles. Absolutely. Um, my plan here is to, on my blog, write the full 10,000 words for each of these so that I... Because if you don't write it out, you can't explain it. But then on, in our actual wiki, to be like, here's the two-sentence answer. If you care, here's the blog post explaining it all. But the blog post is really for me, not for them. And if you ever want to scale yourself. Yeah, that too. That's yep. good that you're doing that. Um, cool. I, I really enjoyed that little, little conversation. Thank you. That was really cool. valuable for me. Yeah, great. Um, what do you want to learn? Uh, let's see. Uh, biggest one is how to build a SaaS via contractors and self-taught coding Ooh. without giving up equity. <laughs> this is going to be a good uh, year for the podcast. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. So I'm terrified. Like, like the reason I set this leg up benefits as a goal is not because like it's number one because I'll regret not doing it, but two, like I have to do this. I'm so scared to fail at this and waste money because it's going to be expensive if I fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I just got to go do it. I I'm going to learn. Uh, but I'm going to, I have a feeling I'm, what I told JD is like, if I go another year without setting $30,000 on fire, trying to build leg up benefits, I'm going to roll over my grave and regret like this. And, yeah. um, and so that's how I got here. So I basically just need to set some money on fire and hope that like, it leads me to like a fire extinguisher. Um, yeah, I love it. Cause would you rather waste $30,000 or a year of your life? $30,000. Yeah, for sure. And ho- I mean, hopefully it's not a waste obviously, but yeah. Yeah, but that's so that's, okay. that's learning, right? I like um, it. The uh, the the second is one that I already kind of alluded to um, uh, related to worries, and that's further expertise in the digital advertising and data um, spaces, um, uh, AI, machine learning, etc., uh, which is where Windfall plays. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just want to continue this this. Um, intellectually like intellectual curiosity around uh self-improvement uh, with respect to effective leadership um I, I we just did this like because i'm thinking about this like when you shared that tidbit around communication um when to when to conclude first principles when not like that's effective leadership to me and like i want to anytime there's an opportunity to to hone that, learn. Um, I want to just grab it and and start to organize that. Um, and this is like in the home, uh, as a family, a member of the family, but also in the neighborhood community, and then at work, of course. Um, so I just like 
really just becoming a, a more effective leader. Um, I think there's a lot to learn still there. Yeah. Cool. But how are, uh, for those other two, I feel like it'll be a little easier to tell if you did it. Like, how are you going to know if you learned this, this third one? Um, so I didn't put it as a goal, but if I have a in progress handbook on my website called a guide to a handbook for effective leadership. And so I think, um, that's one of the three you are going to publish this yes, year. One of the three, okay. uh, <laughs> that didn't get published. Um, and I think like seeing, uh, getting to a point where I can distill, um, what I believe effective leadership is into, um, some content on the website as part of my newsletter work, uh, would be the way I would measure this. Cool. I actually have a half written like wiki article about like what a good leader at less annoying serum is too. So yeah. does, does everybody have this like in their drafts folder? <laughs> Probably I, I, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. That brings us to the final segment, the one that is the most worthless, but also kind of fun predictions for next year. Uh, let's start with what did you predict last year? So first of all, I'll just disclaim here. I ran out of time. This is always the one that I spend the least amount of time on preparing. Um, That's I, but I will, I will add a couple in the conversation because I thought about this more since, but I ran out of time when I was writing this. So last year I predicted that uh, VR headset use is going to become as common as playing a Wii. Um, I think that's mostly happened. Um, like, I, I, you don't think so? I don't know a single person with a VR headset. Except really? You. Every, I know everyone I know has one. Really? Like, yeah. I know a lot of people who game pretty seriously, but it's all either PC or console. I don't know anyone that plays VR. Like, what is a VR game that people play? Beat Saber, I guess. Beat Saber. Um, I mean, I, I play Onward, but I think that's a little, that's probably on the more intense side. I've never heard of that. Uh, but like boxing, people work out. Um, okay. Maybe it didn't come as popular as. It increased. It, it increased. It increased. Um, <laughs> I'll give you that. And then, uh, okay, so fine. Uh, this year, but uh, this year, I'm going to tell you my, my prediction this year. I believe there's going to be a big swing back to co-location as a working requirement. Yeah, totally. Huge, and I think it's going to be like, it's going to start controversial and then it's going to get, it's going to like blow up a little bit, but then it's just going to get back to normal. Do you think that's... So, I mean, it's already kind of started, right? In the sense that a lot of companies, like companies are regaining power because like we're in the midst of layoffs and stuff and they're going back. Do, do you think it's a good thing? Like, like what's the right balance? Should every company be co-located? Should X percent of jobs be fully remote? What, what do you think the right thing is? Not what will happen. I am. So part of this is a, there's a huge amount of bias in this prediction because I'm swinging this way. Um, not that it should be a requirement, but that like co-location, some a percentage of the time is irreplaceable remotely. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what the right balance is, but I just know that that the circumstances that you said it, you let you insinuated it, but like the recession companies are leadership or like leaders of companies are scared. They are, uh, they have like, things have gotten so bloated and people like one way to control people is to see them and to sit next to them and hear them. And so like, whether this is good or bad, like I'm predicting this mostly out of like logic, not like whether it's good or bad, but yeah. I think people like there's a grasp for control right now. Part of the way you get control is you cut spending. But another way is you like create, like guardrails for work, you increase reporting requirements. Um, you, you make th work more visible. Um, you, you get more accountable around things. And I think that's, this is one of those things. This is just going to be another, a control lever. 
I totally agree. And it's, it's so frustrating how people talk about this because they're like, they talk about it, assuming the goals of the management is the same as the goals of the employees. And it's like, no, like, yeah, management wants ultimate power and they want employees to be, uh, like replaceable and all that stuff. Um, this assumption that what you want is totally autonomous, freewheeling people who are, you know, advancing their careers and spending as much time at their kid's soccer game as possible. It'd be nice, but that's not that's not what a company in a shareholder economy wants. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's my big one. Um, the one I'll say too, like, and then I'll pass it to you, is like, I I do I I was I put another bullet here, and I was like trying to think of like something with AI. I don't have anything like that crazy to predict with AI, but I would just say like, I do see, I do believe that, um, like the early adopters, like our generation, um, like of workers, uh, what are we, what are, what are we millennials? Mm-hmm. I think millennials, um, are going to figure out a way we, we went through Google, right. And we discovered Google. I think that, um, we're going to fit like our generation, uh, is going to figure out how to adopt, um, AI into our workflows somehow. And I don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but I just, I feel like it's just going to have like happen overnight, like Google did. Um, and, uh, I, I just feel like this time next year, like our use of AI, uh, like search almost as like a extension of our ability to like produce, um, intellectual, like, uh, knowledge work, knowledge mm-hmm. work, um, is going to, shift and I, I do, but I, I, I don't have like, that's just, I don't have a good way of like measuring that prediction or not. Like, but that's yeah. my theme. It's interesting. I, I have a slightly different AI related take, but yeah, one of the concerns with AI, right. Is that it's going to like remove a lot of jobs or what, you know, it's going to cause disruption in various ways, but it does seem very possible that there will be like a temporary period where AI helps us do things that at equilibrium humans shouldn't be doing at all. And so, like, temporarily, people who write blog posts for a living will be much better at writing blog posts, and then six months later, they'll get fired, you know, yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, that'll be interesting to see. The, the, the other example here is, like, um, I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter um, around, uh, and even, like, in interviews, like, uh, code being written, um, you know, as, like, a starter template uh, uh, versus, like, searching Google. Um Yeah. For like what like like Stack Overflow, I think was a is a big site where you go and search something. Well, giving a an AI bot a prompt to give you a starter thing may become more effective than that. Um, as an as a, as a, another example. Yeah, it's still mostly wrong, but it's shockingly, it's scarily close. Yeah, and, and and it's better than starting from a blank page. Yeah, I'm gonna touch on that again in a second. Do you have any other predictions before we move That's on? It. Mine? That's all I got. Um, all right. Mine last year, we've been doing this for three or four years. This is the first time I feel like I even came <laughs> close to getting one right. Uh, and that is my prediction last year was the world will be less interested in speculative bubbles like NFTs, meme stocks, and so on. I'm going to claim victory on that one. Do you think AI is a speculative bubble? No, I mean like financial bubbles. Okay, got it. Um, right. Like Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin. I mean, so... <laughs> I did not say I think the Fed's going to raise the interest rate and that's going to cause it all. Like, I I kind of got uh, 
a nice assist here like, <laughs> that I wasn't necessarily expecting. But what I kind of said was, if if I recall, I actually didn't go back and listen to last year's episode, but I believe what I said is just like, this is this is hitting a tipping point where the bubble has inflated to the point where there are no more suckers left. <laughs> um, and I think that partially, yes, the interest rates was the main thing, but like also there was no one else to, to, to pull into the, the Ponzi scheme here. And so most of them have collapsed, uh, which is great. I feel so happy about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Good job, Tyler. <laughs> As a professional hater, this is a, a big accomplishment. <laughs> Uh, anyway, my predictions for this year, I, I wanted to come up with something like, so am like aggressive that it would almost certainly be wrong. I couldn't think of, I I don't have like a ton of really strong opinions. So I have three that are probably 50, 50, like none of these are all that far out there. One is related to the AI stuff and specifically generative AI. I think it's, I'm going to try to start saying that more because like AI can mean a lot of different things. Generative AI is where the the conversation is right now, like creating images, creating text content. I think a year from now, my prediction will be that in 2024, that will be the year, which is to say, I've seen enough tech cycles at this point to see a pattern, which is that the amount of hype that exists right now, even for something that's real, it never happens when you think it's going to. Um, I think it's real. I'm a believer. I think there will be major strides in AI. I don't think it will meaningfully have changed any of our lives until past 2023. There will be little things here and there. Oh, I used ChatGPT to do this thing, but I don't think it will be like a big deal until later. Um, okay. Any thoughts? I mean, we already talked about AI, so I guess I can just move on to the next one. Yeah, I, I would just say... Um... Uh, I feel like AI is already changing meaning lives meaningfully, or I guess, are you saying that like, I think cool what's art happening isn't enough. Art, it's yeah, just no, kind of it, like, it's, it's gimmicky is what you're saying. It has real use. So again, sorry to, I know you hate that. I keep pulling everything back to crypto. Crypto has zero use cases aside from, um, like ransom payments, basically. Uh, there's for 13 years into Bitcoin and it has done nothing useful. <laughs> AI has done many useful things already. But not, it, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of maybe a good comparison. Like the first iPhone was maybe the the fastest like adoption of a major new technology I can think of. But even the first iPhone didn't have an app store yet. Uh, it was on ed the edge network as opposed to like 3G didn't, either it didn't exist or it didn't support it yet. Like the first iPhone was worthless unless you were on Wi-Fi and all you could do is email basically. It was worse than a BlackBerry. It took longer before it was like, oh, yeah, I can do a bunch of really important shit on my phone. I think what we've seen so far with generative AI is like a, mostly toys, a couple useful things, but in the on the fringes. It hasn't been like this entire industry is just totally fucking different because of this technology. That's what I'm talking about. I got you. I'm not going to argue with you there. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, well, we're on opposite sides of this, I guess. So we'll see. Or not opposite, but slightly different sides. Yeah, I would say, um, mean, I think meaningfulness is like a, a little bit ambiguous here. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 be, I think the test here is like, are you, do you have a shortcut to like, are you going to an AI generator of some kind for some regular 
Yeah. And I think I probably will, but I also think it won't be like if I, if it disappeared at the, a year from now, if it disappeared, I'd be like, eh, that's too bad. Um, (laughs) yeah, you just Google it. It strikes me though. as like the self-driving car thing where in 2016, there are all these cool demos and everyone's like, with how fast technology advances, we must be no more than one or two or three years away from no one ever driving a car again. And it's like, Mm, that might be right. It's just the timeline's wrong. I got you. Um, okay. My next one, more crypto hate. I think either, and this is probably the most obvious one, either Binance and or Tether will collapse. Um, if either one of them did, I think that would basically be like close, not the end of crypto, but like as big of a hit as the whole industry took this year. I actually don't even know what either of these are. Do you mind, um, explaining them? So Binance is the world's largest like crypto exchange. So you followed the FTX stuff or at least heard about it. Yeah, I don't know uh, what FTX is okay. though. It's th- think about Coinbase. Like, if you want to buy Bitcoin, you can go to Coinbase and buy it. And they, you don't actually like hold the keys to the crypto. You just give them fiat currency. You give them dollars, and they buy crypto. And it's like a it's like a brokerage account for crypto, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have um, I have a Coinbase account. Okay, so Binance is the biggest one of these. So Binance uh, is a Coinbase competitor. Yes. Um, okay. And they're not quite so Coinbase is unique in that they're based in the US and follow regulations. And even they, I think, have a higher than average likelihood of going out of business, but they're like more of a legit company. Binance is like a mystery what it even is. They do a lot more types of crypto than uh, Coinbase does, but they're, they're much bigger. As my, I don't know the actual numbers, but they're much bigger. Um, Tether is the leading stable coin. So the idea is. Um, it's kind of hard to sell crypto and get like fiat currency for it, um, especially without an exchange. Like it's easy to trade Bitcoin with someone or to trade Bitcoin for Ethereum or whatever. It's hard to turn it into money. So instead, what people do is they tether is like uh, one tether or UST, whatever that they have like a coin. One of those is pegged to the US dollar. So it's $1 is always equal to one of these coins. So rather than buying and selling Bitcoin and converting it into dollars, you convert it into this Tether coin, which is the same thing. It's just like logistically much, much easier to trade. Okay. A lot of the, as I understand it, a lot of the infrastructure, like basically the liquidity of the crypto market is largely, is, is, it's very, very important that you have these stable coins so you can buy and sell stuff. Got it. So they're like the bridge to, to, to hard cash. So it's more that if you're not trying to get out of hard cash, you're you're trying to stay in the crypto world, but you're 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 trying to buy and sell different different coins and stuff like that. It's uh, much you're easier. Getting, you're getting out of uh, volatility of of Bitcoin yeah. into a stable coin um, without having to bring hard cash into the mix. Got it. Yeah. That's Thank my you. understanding, that and helps. I'm not an expert on this by any means. But yeah. my understanding is those are the two biggest institutions in crypto right now. Um, I think one of them will be just completely gone the way FTX is completely gone a year from now. And it wouldn't shock me if one goes, probably the other does too. So maybe I'll make this more aggressive and say they'll both be gone. I'm looking at these boy- board ape things. Yeah. Um, they're like uh, $80,000. Have you seen these? You have like, have I ever seen the board yeah, apes? Can you believe how expensive they are? Like what the hell? I have my doubts that anyone's actually one of the many problems with NFTs is all these wash trades where someone like 
buys it from themselves for eighty thousand um, dollars. Mm. My understanding is NFTs in general are down like ninety nine percent on the year or something like that. But maybe there's still like a a few of them are expensive. I don't know. Wow. But yeah, that's crazy. Some of those were selling for like millions of dollars earlier this year. Ah, the world's insane. Um, okay, <laughs> final one. This is boring. I think the the recession will get worse. Uh, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna put some specific things on it. Um, I think there will be more tech layoffs in 2023 than there were in 2022. And I think that six months from now, the stock market will be below where it is right now. Uh, measured by like S and P index. Uh, yeah, let's do S and P 500. Yeah. I hope that's. I mean, I don't. I mean, I kind of from for. I'm trying to. I'm out of the housing market right now. Like I'm kind of like hoping that there's a correction because I'm out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just feel it's inflated. Um, so I hope you're right. But like no, no one agrees with you. Like if it, I, I constantly am reading news about this and like there's amazing how many people like get airtime that are like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Meaning that there's no problem. There's no like, oh, it's just like the temporary correction. It'll be back. In yeah. All those months. people were saying that shit in the summer of 2008 too. Yeah. Um, my opinion is just, I, I don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm mostly just making shit up, but a recession happens because everyone decides it's going to happen. And I think a, a critical mass of people have decided that it's going to happen. <laughs> um, like if there are enough layoffs and I, I've anecdotally talking to founders and listening to people who have access to a lot of founders, uh, selling stuff has become harder. Selling to consumers and selling to businesses has become harder. And I just feel like this is the type of thing that can spiral pretty easily. So I think it will. I, I agree. I'm, I I just can't believe the housing market. Like it's just, it's out of control, man. Like in Utah, it is out of control. There are all these people who say like, I, I don't know how true this is. Like all these financial services companies like BlackRock bought all these properties and they're sitting empty and all that. I don't know how true that is, um, but that that's inflating the prices. But then I've like the... Because the interest rate's so much higher, all these loans are about to like go underwater or whatever. I don't know whether to believe it, but definitely a lot of people think like the the interest rate stuff has not really kicked in yet. Because it, there's a lot no of, way it has. There's no way yeah, it has. Like a lot of adjustable mortgages I, haven't it, converted it, yet. I, I watched the housing market here. It, it's it seems like it's just stalled the market. It hasn't actually corrected anything yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so like there's this like everybody's just waiting and seeing what's going to happen. Um, but like the, the cost to buy a, a home for the same price is like significantly higher than it yeah. was six months ago. Like, well, and you'd be stupid to move, right? Because you, anyone who owns a house probably has it at historically low interest rates. And then if, if you sell it for that price, you have to buy another one. Prices haven't gone down, but yeah, your monthly cost doubles. Yeah. And then you factor in like, um, inflation plus, uh, you know, economic uncertainty, job unemployment rates increasing, uh, compensation reductions, which I think is something like there's a, inflation of compensation has happened as part of this bubble. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what, um, what the impact is. I, I, it doesn't feel like it's actually, yeah, I agree with your prediction here. I used to try to say right. the, the worst has not come. Yeah. So uh, this is the, the most boring and lazy of all three of mine, but we'll see. All right. We, How was that? We made it. Hour and 42 minutes. I think this is maybe our longest yet. <laughs> Covered a lot of ground, man. Yeah, we did. Well, um, 
yeah, I'm, I thought that was interesting. I, I love hearing your goal. You're, you're a lot better at this than me, I think at like reflecting and setting goals and stuff. Um, and yeah, you, you don't think so? No, man. You're like way more thoughtful than me. No, it's just but, that I'm full time on my business. So I have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> tell, tell me, um, what are you doing for New Year's Eve? My family is celebrating Christmas on New Year's Eve because my parents were out of town on real Christmas. Um, so not, not doing anything other like not not going out or anything how about you <laughs> bedtime at nine o'clock nice <laughs> you're celebrating east coast east new coast <laughs> yeah, east coast new year's cool well, well rick it's been great doing another year of oh well a year ago we didn't even have this podcast the podcast had been shut down supposedly permanently so uh, I'm, I'm really glad we're doing it again it's been great and uh here's to another year all right see you have later. a good year see ya